Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Entrepreneurs in Small Rooms Drinking Coffee. I'm Rob Kennedy, and we're here at TWG, and we're speaking with Michael of Wealthsimple. How's it going? Doing great. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, I will not trail off at the end of my next questions, but uh, <laughs> uh, why don't you tell everybody what Wealthsimple is all about? Sure. Um, our mission at Wealthsimple is to make really smart investing easy for people. So if you think about the investment industry, uh, big problems exist today. Fees are way too high. Access to advice is a real problem because you got to have you know, $250,000 to actually hire an investment manager. That's their account minimum. Um, and the whole industry is designed to mystify uh, the investment process. We're trying to use technology to simplify everything, make it really easy for people to understand what's happening, totally transparent, and uh, you know, bring down the costs and access by, um, by automating a lot of the back-end processes and actually execution of, of uh, the trading platform. So traditionally, as a not wealthy fellow, I would uh, call up an investment advisor and be like, here's my 50 bucks. Could you please tell me what I should do with it? And they would take it and they would charge you a fee to manage it, you don't pay it up front, you pay it as at the back end kind of thing? Yeah, you know, typically, so this is a real problem, particularly for Canadians. Uh, we pay the highest investment fees of any country in the world. The average Canadian pays about 2.5% for a mutual fund. Wow. Um, whereas we charge a half percent or less for what's called a full service advice model, where not only do we do the investing for you, build you a really diversified portfolio, um, take care of all the reporting and tax optimizations and all the rest of it, but you also get access to a dedicated advisor. Mm -hmm. We call it your wealth concierge, who mm -hmm. is not like an analog typical advisor who's going to take you golfing or to lunch once a quarter, right. but is going to be there whenever you have questions um, or in, are in need of support and advice. So in theory, in theory, my financial advisor will reach out to me once some, a quarter or something and be like, well, let's review your financial plan. And then, you know, some stuff moves around, like on paper, and then I think things happen, I assume, but nothing usually changes. Um, do you guys proactively like reach out to the your clients and say or like via technology or something and say hey yeah you know unlike um, I think that the slight nuance to your analogy would be that the advisor would probably say first of all the advisor probably only does it once a year if that that's true and then second you know they probably are like come on into the bank branch let's sit down and talk and who the hell has time to go to the bank branch downtown and meet with their advisor so in our model, you know, we communicate by email, text, uh, video chat. We make it really easy for you to access your advisor whenever you want. Mm -hmm. Plus, the technology we've built makes it so easy for you to understand at any time what's happening in your portfolio. Right. You can sign into our mobile apps or the, you know, the website online. You get to see what the portfolio looks like, how it's performed, what you paid in fees. You can even make changes yourself on the on the website itself, and um, it's really easy to use. So two things. One is like the majority of people who are investing right now, are they investing with banks? Is that true? In or this country. In this country. Yeah. You know, th there's two main channels. Okay. Um, so, you know, we think that this is a really nice way to think about the industry. On, on one side, you have the full service model, mm -hmm. which is... You get a dedicated person that's high touch, lots of service, you pay a lot for it, and usually have high account minimums of like $250,000 or mm -hmm. more. It's about a trillion dollars in Canada in that market. Wow. And then you have on the full other end of the spectrum, the do-it-yourself discount brokerage model. Mm -hmm. It's about $300 billion growing really fast in that market. Mm -hmm. But that's, you know, you're on your own. you got to have the confidence to manage your own money, make your own decisions, stick to your plan, you know, if the markets go crazy like again in 2008. Right. But it's got low fees, low minimums, you know, some nice things about it. Mm -hmm. Nothing sits between those two things except for us. Right. So we're trying to give people the same sort of easy use, low cost as the discount brokerage, but also the type of support they might want from the full service channel. 
So taking a quick step back, you, um, this is not your first time doing something like this in the world. Um, so I'd be interested to know, like, what, what did you do? How did you get to here? Like, how did you even say, you know what needs to be revolutionized, the Canadian finance industry? Like, were you, were you smoking a pipe one day? Well, I wasn't <laughs> San Francisco, but I can't say that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, um, it's a good question. So I was always that weird kid that was into investing. I've been doing it since I was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. um, I won my first stock picking contest at 12, mm -hmm. which was back in 1999. And mm -hmm. you can imagine what happened to all the stocks I picked mm -hmm. in 2000 when the markets crashed. <laughs> um, and um, when we sold, so, you know, before, well, simple, um, I moved down to San Francisco, uh, helped build a company called A Thousand Memories. We were a Y Combinator startup, mm -hmm. raised some VC funding. Um, we sold the company to Ancestry.com a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And when the team, um, you know, first came into a little bit of money, uh, everybody was looking for some advice on what to do with it. And they all knew that I was an investor and came to me for, for support. Right. And one night, I actually think this is like a great example of how to build an MVP. Okay. <laughs> so um, one night I built an Excel model, mm -hmm. which simply told you if you came to this model, you know, step by step how to build a smart portfolio on your own. And then every month you could come and kind of log what your investments had done and it would spit out how to rebalance the portfolio. It was like oh, a do-it-yourself little Excel model. Mm -hmm. Sent it around to the whole team and then a whole bunch of friends that over the years had asked me for, for advice. And in general, they liked it. They used it. They all started investing with it. And a month later came back and said, you know what, Mike, this is great, but we're lazy, we're busy, would you mind just doing it for us? Mm -hmm. um, and at that moment, it, you know, something seemed like there could be a product in there. Mm -hmm. And at that time, um, Wealthfront and Betterment, which are two companies which do something similar to us in the States, mm -hmm. this is well before they had their huge amount of traction, but mm -hmm. they were showing early signs of, of interest and, and support from the market. So it seemed like there was some validation for this idea. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I was getting ready to start my next business. I wanted to do it in Canada. Mm -hmm. Canadians pay the highest fees of any country in the world. Uh, it seemed like the perfect market to launch a product like this. So just a quick step back, you went through YC. Um, what, what year was that? Like so uh, the company I was with yeah. did. I joined yes. just after the company went through YC. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Um, but that was the summer of 2010. Okay, so yeah. it was relatively new at the time. Yeah. Relatively and kind of hip and happening. Well, I see. Yeah, yeah. This, this was like the early days exactly, of YC. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I, I can't believe that was like four years ago. But yeah, exactly. I'll remember right. back in the 60s when, when the batches were, were much, much exactly. smaller than they are now. So you sort of, you sort of followed a, a company through its big, you worked with a company through its key growth phase, down in the valley actually, and through an acquisition. Um, and you're like, I'm going to do this again. Why, why would you do that? <laughs> why would you do that to yourself? No, what, was, were you like, I like this, this is a thing, and I'm going to, like, what, what was the impetus to keep going in this sort of startup space and not be like, okay, um, I'll buy a yacht and sit around the world or whatever? <laughs> ah, this stuff is so much fun. Yeah. I mean, um, if you've ever had the taste of doing something like this, I mean, I don't think you ever can kick it. Right. Um, you know, I started my career in consulting. I worked for a company called McKinsey, which, mm -hmm. you know, I learned a ton. It was a great place to kind of meet some really smart people. It's actually how I got started in tech. Some of the, the founders of Thousand Memories and I worked together at McKinsey. Um, but, uh, you know, when you're a consultant, you don't make anything. Yes. Um, and once you get a taste for making something that actually, like, solves a problem or can change the world, like, you know, it's a high. You want to do it every day. Um, so when you when you you came out of that, you had your Excel models. You came back to Canada, I, I assume. Yeah. And because uh, Wealth Simple is four months old, I think we said right before the show. Uh, and so, how how much time between your Excel models and actually launching Wealth Simple happened? And what happened? How did you get from the yeah. Excel thing to a, a platform that does this? 
Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Um, a long time. Yeah. About two years or more. Um, so when we sold the company, I worked for a little while at Ancestry in, in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, were they acquired I, while you were there? Or you, they, that was post you? Because they were acquired recently. Uh, yeah. Ancestry. Ancestry. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they were acquired while we were there by yeah. a private equity firm. Yeah. Um, and um, I moved back to Canada with Ancestry. I was running their Canadian business for a little while. Okay. Uh, and left that in February of last year to start Well Simple. So it's it's been a year in the making. But obviously, this is a you know investment business, highly regulated industry. So mm-hmm. it took us a while to get through the regulatory process. Um, you know, build the first version of the product, and we launched in September. So the technology wasn't the problem. Is getting through the regulatory stuff to get the technology to market was really yeah. The the regulatory process took us about seven months. Right. Um, which you know the industry everybody from the industry said it only took you seven months. Right. In the life of a startup, that's an eternity. Yeah. And then uh, and and so for those just tuning in, this is entrepreneurs in small rooms drinking coffee. I'm Rob Kennedy, and we're here with Mike of Wealth Simple. Um, so you were saying that uh, you you finally got all the paperwork done. And the paperwork is to do what? Like, what what is the thing that requires paperwork? In the, from a regulatory from a regulatory perspective. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine it's everything. Are these people who they say they are? Um, yes. Are these people? Do they have the background? You know, that qualifies them to actually be managing people's money. Mm-hmm. Um, do they have the types of security? You know, securities and infrastructure built into their program that they're not going to take advantage of clients. Mm-hmm. That they have the proper insurance. That if you know. God forbid something happens, clients are protected. Right. Um, all, they take the very, the very strict perspective of how do we make sure that the average Canadian investor is as well protected as possible. And whenever you mention like, you know, online delivery or, or not face to face, you know, it triggers this, whoa, you know, we really got to look into this thing because who knows about that distribution model. Right. So that, that took us a little while to get them up the learning curve on why this model makes a ton of sense, especially for young investors that don't. If you could be, especially when it comes to money, they'd be willing to say, "Oh, tax, okay." Front, mm-hmm. but at the same time, cost down for the end client, right direction, and for the, sure for established regulatory structure, um, is that the the OSC is truly the taxi industry that the regulators were truly designed to protect the taxi riders. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think they would have, Uber would have a very different experience. Yeah, fair um, enough. So to, to to get to that, to go to build your product, to build your MVP, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, or your VP, <laughs> uh, and to um, fight this, you know, all the paperwork that you need to do to convince people, that takes time. Did you, how did you fund yourself to that point? Did you just write yourself some checks? Did you get some angel investors? Like, how did you? Yeah, so for the, for the first little while, um, no checks. Um, you know, everybody that kind of was helping out at that stage was doing so um, because they believed in what we were doing and believed that we would be able to raise funding, mm-hmm. um, convince them that there was some dream in there worth pursuing. Mm-hmm. And um, Was it just you as the founder, or did you have co-founders along with you? It, it was just me as the founder at the time, mm-hmm. um, but I brought in partners. So you know, uh, one of our software engineers from the Valley, I convinced him to move up here to help us build the product. Mm-hmm. Um, our chief investment officer convinced him to leave you know, 10 years at RBC, managing high net worth individuals, move mm-hmm. over and kind of be our PM. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the core initial team. We've since you know, added some really key people over time too. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that, we were able to raise uh, $2 million seed round in May right. wow. from just an incredible group of, of investors, mm-hmm. um, you know, some, some real icons in both the technology and the financial services world in mm-hmm. Canada. Mm-hmm. And so that got you to where you are now. Yeah. And so <clears throat> you're, you're, you're in this place where you're four months old. Uh, you're asking people to fork over their money. 
Uh, how do you do that? Because, you know, if it's an Uber, again, I don't want to, maybe I should use a different example, but it's Uber's like 10 bucks, okay, I didn't get murdered, that's a good experience, you know? And then maybe I'll give them another 10 bucks. For you, it's, here's $50,000 or everything I own. How, how do you convince people to part with their money uh, and that it's a, it's a safe bet? I mean, yes, you've been scrutinized by the regulator, but now you have to earn the trust of a consumer, and that's tough. Yeah, this is a really tough challenge. It's mm -hmm. one of our biggest challenges is there's a huge trust hurdle and credibility hurdle that we have to get over. And we've done a few things to try to plug that. So when we raised the seed round, what was very important to me was trying to find brands. Um, brands that command the respect of the industry. Mm -hmm. So if you look at kind of some of the angels behind the business, the head of our investment committee is Professor Eric Kersner. Mm -hmm. He is the country's foremost academic expert when it comes to investment management. He mm -hmm. built the first ETF in the world in 1989 mm -hmm. and in fact is on the board of risk and suitability for IROC, which is one of the other regulators uh, right. in Canada. So you know, one example of someone that if he's behind the business, there's got, they've got to be doing something right. right. Joe Canavan is another one who used to run Asante, one of the biggest wealth managers in the country. Mm -hmm. um, you know, is, is also a member of our, our committee. Roger Martin is yeah. one of the country's foremost you know, business thinkers, one of the world's foremost business thinkers, you know, world-renowned. So school named after him down the street. He certainly does. <laughs> um, so you know, trying to surround ourselves with people that do command credibility. How, how do you do that? Public. I mean, these, these are not insignificant people. How do you get them to say, yeah, yeah, totally sign on, I'll put my name behind something like that. that that's a tough thing to do. Yes. One, maybe, you know, three it's or four or five. It's not. interesting. I, I talk to a lot of founders that are looking to, to raise money, and you know, I think it's a big mistake. A lot of them just say, okay, well, here's the list of the 50 angel investors in tech in, in Canada. I'm mm -hmm. going to talk to them, and they kind of just go do the usual suspects. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at the people that we brought on board, I mean, Joe, Eric, you know, and, and several others kind of behind the scenes that, that we're not so public about, um, these guys don't do much angel investing. So, you know, they're not hounded all the time, right. but they get the space. Hmm. And so these are people that are so close to the problems that if you're truly solving a problem and passionate about solving that problem, these are the guys that are going to get it. Got it. Guys are girls, you know. Yeah. So yeah. you go and speak to these people, and um, if you can convince them of the vision of what you're trying to build, I think they're much more likely to put in, you know, a little bit of money to get you started than a, a tech angel who's seen, you know, ten deals today, right? And is kind of a little bit jaded about all sorts of different things, right? Right. And that also goes to, I think, uh, I, some advice that you often hear, which is like, you don't just want it. To, I don't want to use it. It seems so um, overused, but you don't want just money. You want smart money. You want. Yeah. You want people who actually get what you're doing, not just here's a big check and where's my return. Yeah, you know, it's so important. When you start a business, and anybody that's in a business knows this, you know this well, that like all you are is the people. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're, you're, you know, I think that the role of a CEO is to simply hire as many people as they can that are smarter and better than them and kind of like then they hire themselves out at a job and it's perfect. Right, right. Um, and I think that extends to your angels too. Because if you're truly trying to solve a problem, you need to get the best minds around the table to really solve it. Right. Um, if you think that you could, you know, have the tools yourself in your own mind to do it, I think you're, like you're setting yourself up for failure. Right. You really got to get the right people on board to make it happen. So were you assembling these people as you were sort of crafting the product, or did it have to be like you got the team and then you're like, okay, now I've got the team, now I can build the thing? They all happen in parallel. Hmm. Yeah, they all happen in parallel. We had a couple early prototypes that we, we had built that we were able to share. Um, we just couldn't have clients on them. Yes. Because uh, we weren't approved by the regulator at, <laughs> right. at that stage. But you could fit to test the usability, like does this feel like the right process for onboarding and that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, we had a great team, a really great team that had done this before together. 
um, which was a really nice story that we were able to tell around. Well, that, that's the one thing I was going to ask you. Uh, you know, we've had a few people on the show um, who, uh, let's, you know, Al-Kareem, I'm trying to think of a couple people who have sort of done this before, and this is their second kick at the can, but it's, it's rarer to do that. I think in, in Canada, at least, we're getting to the point where there's like, there's another iteration of people who are able to now take their learnings and then apply mm -hmm. them. What, would, what did you make a point of doing after going through the last startup that you said, no, this time it's going to be like this? Because I saw it, it not work right last time. Is there any key lessons that you took having built and sold a company to this one? Or is it just you found the right people and you've, you've stuck with those people? <laughs> It's a great question. So certainly, certainly that is a big part of it. I, I, you know, I found some real partners that I hope to work with for the rest of my life, mm -hmm. and you know, we'll keep doing this as, as you know, forever. I hope mm -hmm. um, we love working together and we do some great stuff. So that's one. You got to find great people. Mm -hmm. um, two is we're certainly doing better this time around. I mean, we've learned a lot. Um, what I are think, you not doing then? That, that so a few things. So one is in the first startup we. Um, we uh, did a few things. One is we overbuilt, we overbuilt okay. features. Yes. If you look at so our product, common. yeah. If yeah. you look at our product today, it is super simple. Like yes. really, could not be more simple. Right. Some people complain it's too simple, <laughs> right. but we've actually decided but it's in your very name. deliberately. I mean, it's, yeah. it, right. I mean, we're very deliberate that it's it's meant to be simple. We'll add more over time. Yes. But not until we have, you know, the data and the, you know, the rationale that truly supports, this is a, not only just something people say they want, mm -hmm. but truly a need or will change you know, the game when it comes to acquisition or engagement or enjoyment. You know, we really have to figure that out. And people are loving the product. We're growing really fast as is, so there's no rush to, yeah, we're yeah. doing something right. There's yeah. no rush to overbuild. The last startup, we overbuilt a lot. You know, it was all about product features. It was all about new products. We tried to launch as many you know, new cool things mm -hmm. as we possibly could. And um, I think we've learned not to do that and to be you know much more thoughtful about our, our product development approach mm -hmm. um two is just how core data is to everything we do now mm. you know certainly we use data in the last startup but it was not as absolutely core to every decision every is, is it a function of the industry that you're in and that you have the data or no. is it just data driven as your data philosophy? driven as a, as a value mm. i mean like you know we, we spent a lot of time actually on company culture and company values in this business mm -hmm. and uh, you know, i think actually the first one on the list is we are a data driven company mm -hmm. all decisions are made you know by data are, are you marissa meyer crazy like there's nine shades of blue which is the shade of blue that is the one that works no no no, no. Okay. <laughs> uh, you got to be practical and pragmatic right <laughs> you're not but, also google um, with billions of dollars to test that kind of stuff right but um you know even bringing just a tiny little bit of data to something mm. um is you know hugely powerful when you're trying to build something um and you know there's so many unknowns so the little bit of things that you can know as you kind of go through this process it helps you navigate everything and it's it's you know so important i think cool so again uh, for those just tuning in this is entrepreneurs in small rooms drinking coffee i'm rob kennedy and we're here with mike of wealth simple so let's talk about that because i think that uh i can't tell you the number of times i've seen startups that are like uh, we have an engineering team we're sort of not getting traction so let's just build more stuff because that's what we know how to do uh, how do you, you got to market, you did some usability testing, but you obviously couldn't actually do the real investing stuff. And obviously you're maybe faking it. I'm assuming you're faking it in the background just to sort of see, does this data represent something that I would want to take action on? I suppose that's how you were mm -hmm. prototyping when you actually got it out into the market and people started signing up. Um, 
did you notice? I mean, for, for you, it would seem to me that if you're using like the pirate metrics kind of thing, um, getting a customer to acquiring a customer is tough and getting them to activate is even tougher because getting them to pay any money to you uh, to invest is, is tricky. Awareness is one thing and getting them to download the app or go to your website and maybe sign up. But to go through the whole sign-up process, it's not trivial because of the regulations that are around mm -hmm. it. So how did you, can you talk about like how you engineered that to be like so unpainful that people would try it? Or do you know, how, how did you do that? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I like subscribe to Paul Graham's, you know, do things that don't scale, manually mm -hmm. recruit your first hundred users. Okay. Um, and we did that, and it was a lot of hustle, a lot okay. of fucking hustle. So what do you, um, you walk them through the form? Because they have to fill out a bunch of forms yeah. when you sign up for this kind of thing, right? It's not just like, here's my credit card. Go. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, our process is the simplest in Canada right now. Okay. It's nowhere near simple enough. You right. know, and this is like something we talk about and get frustrated by every day. Mm -hmm. um, we are a funnel business. Mm -hmm. You know. We have a long funnel that's pretty tough to get through because of the regulatory requirements around questions and things we have to ask people. And then the trust factor of at the end of it, you actually have to move money to us. Yes, yes. Um, so, you know, we have to optimize every step of that funnel to, you know, obviously create a viable business and engine for growth. Mm -hmm. um, and we're just, we do these, uh, you can call them hackathons or like attack the funnel weeks where right. this becomes the priority for everybody in the company, regardless of what function you have. Mm -hmm. And we have people trying all sorts of different things. We have ops people that will try to just do hustle. They will call as many clients that have kind of started in the funnel, but not moved through as possible. They mm -hmm. will text them. They will go meet with them for, you know, in person mm. and try and, you know, learn the few things that may have been the hurdle of why they haven't moved through the funnel, but also move them through the funnel. Right, 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 um, right. And so we attack those kind of stages. We do it with product where we're doing A-B testing and different, you know, which questions come first? What if we kill some of the questions? How can that, like, change the, um, you know, the conversion rates to the funnel and all the rest of it? So we're constantly thinking about optimizing the funnel and using everything at our disposal to do it. And then when, when you, we sort of talked about the acquisition part before we went on air, but, like, uh, do you just stick up a Facebook ad and be like, <laughs> invest? tap here or click here that that seems to be a weird channel like it to advertise to somebody yeah no i mean you know i believe that advertising can work for us but at this stage as a relatively you know unknown brand in the financial services world nobody's going to click a facebook ad and say oh here's my life savings right so to go would they ever i mean it. even would they ever really it's possible i yeah. mean you know we believe we can build a truly independent massive brand in this country um and uh i think it's, it's this chicken and egg thing, because once we, we are that, then people will trust us. But until we're there, right. nobody will trust you. Yeah, um, yeah. So it'll take time. But, uh, but certainly that, that's something I think is possible. Um, but, you know, we're getting clients through three major channels today. Mm -hmm. um, and this took a lot of just experimentation to figure out which ones work. Press, obviously important for, for any startup. People know the press impact. For us in particular, because of the trust barrier, mm -hmm. if the Globe and Mail writes about us, it's an immediate stamp of credibility. So right. we focus and invest heavily in our press channel and it's paid off very handsomely. Mm -hmm. We kind of get a major article every week, every two weeks, and, uh, and that's been a huge source of new clients for us. Two is referrals. Referrals make up about 50% of our new clients today oh, yeah. and is the fastest growing channel. Interesting. Do you incentivize your users to refer? We do. Um, so we have a program. We give every client of ours their first $5,000 managed for free. Mm -hmm. If you invite a friend, you both get an additional 5,000 for free. What's amazing to us is we get way more referrals than we do people that use that. 
Mm. So people are just happy to tell their friends about it and get them into the program, but don't necessarily want to claim the you know the reward that we're offering. So because that, that that sort of dual incentive marketing thing that you know Dropbox did and Uber did that just seemed to be just so like well worn and not useful, but it seems to be not the case. Yeah, you know we're we're, we're going to experiment with it a little bit. I mean, mm. right now you know we're doing the the whole wave of management fee. You can imagine we could actually pay you to you know refer a friend. I think when it comes again, when it comes back to money management, it feels because someone's going to pay you. You still, you know, if you're telling a friend or a family member to come on, getting a few extra bucks is not the thing that's going to give Motivated. you the confidence to say, "Yeah, I'm going to get all my friends to, you know, give these guys that I've never heard of before all my right, money." Right, because somehow magically I'm going to get it for free, and I will. That makes them trustworthy. You know? Right. So, so you know, it's the people that have had the experience and are really happy with it that are happy to tell people about yes. it. But it's not for the reward. See, that's what I'm saying. It seems like a proxy yeah. for word of mouth. Yeah more than anything else. Yeah, so I trust these guys. They know my money is actually growing. Absolutely. I'm not losing, like they're not scamming me with fees. And then what was the third channel you said that? The was... third channel for us is events. Um, events. This has been a surprise to us because you mm. know, startups don't usually think you know, events, totally non-scalable channel, um, is going to be productive. It has been hugely productive for oh, yeah. us. Yeah, we do events. Our conversion rates are through the roof, regardless mm. of how big the event is. It's mm -hmm. kind of like very consistent. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's great because it also lets us, you know, spread the word. We do these lunch and learns. We're mm -hmm. a big part of the mission of the company, and we did one here yes, actually. You did, yeah, um, is you know educating people about what smart investing looks like. Right. We don't actually pitch well simple at all, unless people want to learn about it at the end. But usually, it's just the five rules of smart investing. We stick to that topic. But in general, people get excited and want to learn more, and you know, we find it's been a great channel for us. And so, one one question I think people might have is, how do you? <clears throat> I was going to ask this at the beginning, but I'm waited. Um, you're, you're the, so a typical financial advisor or like the average rate, I think you said it was two and a half percent for, for a Canadian investor. Yeah. That's the average what Canadian pays for, for investment advice in this country. So, you know, I've got my money somewhere. I'm, I, I sort of know what I'm paying. I think it's slightly less than that. Thank God. But you know, not, not a hell of a lot. Um, uh, my millions, millions of dollars, you know, <laughs> uh, but, um, it's not something that people pull their wallet out and pay. So the pain is not obvious, and often it's hidden in some, you know, you know. Oh, here's a report that you don't read. That's yeah. really complicated. Oh, by the way, there's a management fee, but you probably don't read that too because it comes with all the depreciation or whatever. Uh, how do you get people to say, "Oh shit, this is a problem"? Is it those events that you're like, "Oh, by the way, did you know this kind of thing?" You have to educate them how to know that there's a problem to begin with, and then say, "Oh, by the way, our fees are lower." So yes. So I'd say you know a couple things. In a market like this, where things that, you know, maybe exclude the last couple of months, but mm -hmm. the last, you know, seven years where mm -hmm. everybody's making money in the markets, nobody cares about fees. Yes. You know, you know, if you're making money, you don't really worry about it. Market like 2008, when everybody's losing money and you see how much you're paying to lose money, then people go, what the fuck am I paying for? Right, right. So, you know, it's, it's right now in a market like this, it's been incumbent on us to educate people mm -hmm. about the impact of fees. Mm -hmm. And it, it's so important because it can make a really material difference to your long-term net worth. You know, even 1% more in additional fees can be, you know, as much as like hundreds of thousands of dollars on your portfolio over the long term. Yes. So make a real difference to your long-term, you know, lifestyle that you want to be living um, and, and all the rest of it. So, so important to, to, to educate people about what that's about. Second, and, and we're kind of lucky, um, legislation in this country is moving in our favor where there's new uh, fee disclosure rules that are coming out over mm. the next 18 months that are going to force investment managers to disclose to their clients, very simple number, how much did you pay in fees? Mm -hmm. 
And um, this sort of thing happened in the UK three years ago and mm -hmm. it was just transformative. Oh yeah? Even with 20% compliance on the reporting requirements, so 80% of people didn't do anything, but only 20%, uh, 10,000 advisors were forced to exit the industry within 12 months. Really? Because Canadians pay the highest fees in the world be and compliance I think is going to be even higher here, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I expect it to be totally transformative to this industry and mm -hmm. obviously, you know, we're excited to be positioned as the low-cost, transparent, um, you know, game changer when it right. comes to uh, investment management. What's cool, the other thing you didn't mention, by the way, I have a few other questions, but what's cool is that I think you said that, I don't know if you said that today or just generally from your site or the last time we talked is that your your technology also sort of rebalances your portfolio more often than your advisor would. So irrespective of fees, there's actually a technical play here that's something. Yeah, we listen, we do things that other advisors can't because we're a technology company mm -hmm. that are better for investors. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to success in investing, there are two pieces to it. One is how your investments actually perform. Mm -hmm. The second is like how disciplined you are as an investor about <laughs> right. sticking to a plan. And that, that's actually usually the worst part. Yes. You know, where people get killed. Yes. Um, they get greedy and then or they get panicked and, and they make all sorts of mistakes. So with software, there are no emotions. It's very disciplined. So you know, there's a concept called rebalancing where let's say, you know, we figure out what your risk tolerance is, we build you a target portfolio that has an allocation across all sorts of assets. The markets move and those allocations will change over time because the markets are moving. An advisor will typically rebalance the portfolio back to its target once a year. Mm -hmm. Really great ones will do it once a quarter. Both ways, fundamentally wrong. There's right. no magic date to rebalance. Right. We use software to look at your portfolio every day and based on thresholds determine whether or not it's moved enough to necessitate a, cha a change back mm -hmm. to the target. And that's one way that we keep you very disciplined. You know, your portfolio always reflects your risk tolerance, your investment goals, as it should. And, and do you find that your users are like, excited about the fact that technology is doing this or freaked out by the fact that the machine is making decisions for me? No, no. Um, in general, people get it. Yes. Um, they totally get it. It's, it. You know, the machines aren't doing anything crazy. Yes. It's, it's spitting out a set of trades based on some very simple rules that are still reviewed by by a manual advisor before the trades are actually processed, right. you know, to ensure accuracy and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. Plus, there's no fees to it because we eat all the trading costs, and so it just makes sense. Right, right, right. So, how do you? Um, so, I think we also talked about this before. What the the way you're acquiring customers is, it takes a bunch of time. You have to educate them, and then you say, no, 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 we're not crazy. See, look, we can prove it, and then you get them to go through the process of signing on. So that's a, a long sales cycle for a startup, really. Um, not enterprise length, but yeah. it's not short. It's not like here's my credit card. I'll take in whatever. Yeah, it's uh, not give me your email address and a password. And now you're a you know a registered customer. user and a yeah, customer yeah, yeah. and all the rest. Of um, the reason you can invest this is because the the churn rate is low. The lifetime value of your customer is high. We were sort of talking about this before. Um, it, so like the, the once you move onto your platform and it's working, why would you change? And the effort to do so is tricky. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So, you know. In the wealth management business, um, it's not that easy to move money around. Or there's a perceived, you know, I don't want to move my money around. Don't go through that hassle. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, the churn is extremely low and the lifetime value of a client is extremely high. I mean, mm -hmm. it's less for us because we charge so little right. than it would be a traditional advisor. Yes. But uh, at the same time, our, our philosophy is we've built the best investment service in the country. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of things that we're going to continue to add to make it the best investment service in the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unlike a traditional advisor that would come to you and be like, hey, you know, move everything over today, our approach is move a little bit over, you know, try and lower the barrier to try us out. 
you'll be so happy. Like we're mm -hmm. convinced that you you'll you will know that this is better than everything else out there. Mm -hmm. That will earn your full relationship over time. And I think that's a better approach. And there's no punishment to move your money in or out. No, un just... unlike everybody else. So so it's funny. We published a blog post, and, and this is a really cool tactic that we've kind of picked up. Mm -hmm. Data-driven blog posts generally are very powerful. Yes. And so we, we published a blog post last week um, with our data on transfer times. Mm -hmm. And what we've discovered is to get from people transfer accounts to us, mm -hmm. the average transfer time is 29 days, or, or I think it's 29, it might be 21 days, whatever it is, it's a hell of a long time. It's like a month. Yeah, it's basically. like a month, basically, <laughs> and $135. Okay. So basically what that means is to get your money back mm -hmm. from wherever it is that it is today, it's going to cost you 135 bucks, and you're going to have to wait a month. Right, right. Um, which is insane. Yes. Right? It's totally it's insane. It's your money. It's your money. You should have access to it whenever you want. Mm -hmm. And why should you be paying to get it back? Yeah. So, you know, we don't do any of that crap. We have right. no hidden fees. There's no administration costs. Like, if you want your money, you get to take your money. But our philosophy is you're not going to want to because you're going to be really happy right. with the service. So, so how do you know, how do you how do you go to you how do you move to your next steps? You you're, you're acquiring customers at a at a quite a quite a clip. Yeah. Uh, even though you've been in in and around only for four months, and there was a holiday in between where people yeah. probably weren't thinking of their money. Maybe the after the holidays are thinking about their money. Uh, and you, you're to to use the Paul Graham quote that you use, you're doing things that don't scale. You're like manually high touch going through each of these customers. How do you how do you move to the next level where you can say okay, uh, you have to block and tackle the different provinces to sort of do the rest of the country, uh, and then you need to find a more scalable way to um, acquire customers and sort of that's the hard part. Once they're there, you've got all the the sausage making machine to do all the cool stuff, but that seems to be the pain point that you're going to be suffering for the next little while, yeah? Or am I mischaracterizing it? No, certainly. You know, I think um, we automate as we go. So we do things that don't scale. If we learn that it works, then we build. I see. Um, rather than the other way around as you build and like hope it works. Yes. Um, and I think that's a really good methodology for us. I, I hope, and it's part of our DNA today, but my hope is that we keep it as we grow um, quickly, mm -hmm. because I think doing things that don't scale is the best way to learn, out-innovate, outpace everybody else in the market. Right. Um, because if you try and build everything or take too long to kind of, you know, make the it perfect product development cycle and all the yeah. rest of it, like you, lo you lose your edge um, and your kind of advantage when it comes to speed to market and iteration. And I all guess the rest then you become it, a so. bank or an investment institution. It's, ama <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. The, the lead times on these guys, like I'm not even, I don't worry about them because right. I think, you know, Sure, they want to get into the space. Everybody's talking about it. If they decide they want to get into the space, it's going to take them two years to launch a product. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Uh, when you think about so, it. So maybe let me ask the question in a slightly different way as we close out the show. How do you know what to do next? I mean, you've got a million different problems. You want to, you know, grow your business. You want to acquire new customers. You have multiple channels that are are succeeding. How do you know what to to do to to you know, continue to fill the funnel at a more, I guess, at a more logarithmic rate? Assuming that is your existential yeah. problem of du yeah, jour, you know? I mean, uh, uh, the like the top things I think the only two things that are constantly on my mind are how do we continue to accelerate growth, not just maintain growth, mm. and um, and two is you know how do we continue to attract and excite like the best possible people to have on the team, mm -hmm. uh, and those I think are the two things I'm going to keep thinking about every right. every single day, and I think if we get those two things right, we're going to build a massive transformative business. Um, the uh, attracting talent is a black art. Uh, and so is attracting users, honestly. Yeah. But do you have like, uh, there's a bunch of companies that are tackling the, actually both sides of it. Do you have any sense of how, what would be the next, like how you could sort of uh, scale the user growth side of it, given the complexities of the product that you have? 
Yeah, you know, so where we are today is, like you said, we've, we've hacked a lot of kind of where we are manually mm -hmm. um, in terms of use growth. You know, press continues to be a great channel for us. I think we'll continue to be. The mm -hmm. referrals channel is now a great multiplier. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everything we're able to bring in from other channels now gets multiplied by this word of mouth engine that we have going. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of by, by nature making us more scalable and fast growing. Mm -hmm. The events I didn't think would be scalable, but you know, it, it's um, it, Gabriel Weinberg. If you guys don't read Gabriel Weinberg, you, you go read his traction blog, the traction yeah. verticals, his book on traction. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. the stuff is, is gold. Yeah. And like the one piece of advice that came out of it for me that I, I totally believe in is if you find a channel that's working, throw everything you fucking can at that channel mm. until you bleed it dry, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. And so events, like didn't think it was gonna work, mm -hmm. is working really well. We're gonna invest everything we possibly can, right, in, in events. And that means we should be doing three events a day at least, if we right. can, right? If we're doing one a day, two a day now, like we gotta be doing as many as we can on weekends across the country. Um, and kind of that's the Pope's doing a hangout, I think I heard. So you should, naturally. you know, do your like, you know, papal hangout for Wealth Simple. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's great. That's a great piece of advice to end yeah. on. So thank you very much for coming uh, today, Mike. It's uh, Entrepreneurs in Small Rooms Drinking Coffee. I'm Rob Kennedy. We were hosted today by TWG. And thanks to Nick Kuhn for producing the show. And thanks to Mike at uh, Wealth Simple. And your website is wealthsimple.com. So easy. And there's even an app. But go to the website. <laughs> uh, thanks uh, very much for your time. And stay tuned next week for another episode. Thanks, everybody.